right, well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Thank you so much uh, for joining this morning. If your kids are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back um, with Miss Melody. If your kids are staying with us, there's activities on that back table they're free to grab um, and use throughout um, the sermon. Um, today we are continuing to look at just some incredible standalone narratives from the Bible. Um, I love that last song where it says, uh, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And that's going to be really one of the themes in this sermon today. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to just play a small part in leading someone to faith in Jesus. And in the midst of those conversations, they asked a lot of great questions. And one of the great questions they asked is, what happens when I sin again or I mess up again? Will God still forgive me? Will he still love me? Like, what happens if I sin after I trust Jesus? That's such a great question because even after we trust Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we all sin. We all slip up. We all let our pride and our selfish desires get in the way of following Jesus. So what happens then? And today I want to share with us a, a powerful story about the grace and forgiveness that God still shows us when we sin, even though we might know better and are already following Jesus. It's the same grace and forgiveness he shows not only to his followers, but to anyone that will turn and follow him. And this story comes from the life of Jesus and his interactions with one of his most faithful and closest disciples, Peter. Uh, if you were here for VBS, Peter will be familiar. We followed his life and his story throughout the week. And the story we're going to look at today is in many ways the center or the, the culminating story of his life that, that defined his future, his ministry, and in his life um, overall. So we're going to be in John chapter 21 if you want to head that direction. But before we get there, let me give you just a little bit of background about what we're kind of walking into in the days heading up to the crucifixion, Jesus prepared his disciples for what was about to happen. At one point, he tells them, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be given over to the Pharisees, and they're going to crucify me. And he said, I'm going to rise again. And in the midst of that, Peter doesn't understand what's going on, as we wouldn't understand what's going on. And so he boldly speaks up, and he says, that's just not true. And he argues with Jesus until Jesus finally says, Peter, I am going to die, and I'm going to rise again. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you seek the plans of man and not the plans of God. And yet Peter still doesn't get it. He is focused on what he can see and experience, and he misses what Jesus is telling him. Later, Jesus tells the disciples that somebody in this group is going to betray me, and then you're all going to run. You're all going to flee. Peter boldly stands up. He says, not me, Lord. I won't do it. Jesus says, no, you won't. In fact, you will betray me or deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Peter's response to that is, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus, I would imagine, just kind of shakes his head at this time, and then he's arrested as he said he would be. And as Jesus is arrested, Peter puffs up his chest, and he comes to Jesus' defense. He, he grabs a sword, and he chops off the ear of a guard. Blood's coming out of the guard's ear, and Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, Peter, this isn't it. He says, Peter, put away your sword. Do you not know that he who lives by the sword dies by the sword? Then Jesus picks up the soldier's ear and he puts it back on. It's kind of a weird thing, but that guy continues to arrest him. Have you ever thought about like that? Like Jesus picks up your ear and puts it back on. You think you might reconsider what's going on. Anyway, what happens next? Jesus is arrested and then the scene shifts to the courtyard. And there, I think we read about the denials of Peter. We have to step into that in the proximity Jesus here is not a mile or a quarter mile away. He's not on the other side of the town, but Peter is, or they are there in the same courtyard together. Jesus is being held, and Peter is there. Jesus has already been beaten severely, and, and this woman comes up to Peter, this young woman who is now, and Peter's trying to hide, and, he, and he, she says to him, aren't you one of the disciples? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Peter says, no, I am not one of the disciples. What are you talking about? 
She says, yeah, I think I saw you with Jesus. He says, no, I, I don't know that man. She comes back again, and she's like, I, I mean, I, I don't want to bother you, but I, I'm pretty sure that I have seen you with Jesus. And Peter says, no, I don't know that man. Why do you keep asking me about this? And then she comes back a third time, and she says, no, I am sure that you are one of his disciples. I know you are a Galilean. You know him. And it says Peter loses his mind, and he starts cursing. He says, I don't know this man. I don't know why you keep asking me this. I want nothing to do with Jesus. And the Bible tells us the rooster crows, and Jesus looks over at Peter. You can envision them making eye contact. And it says Peter runs out of the courtyard, according to the Bible, weeping bitterly. Jesus is then crucified. He is raised from the grave three days later. And Peter is left surely feeling dismayed, disappointed, angry at himself, and feeling like a complete failure. But I'm sure he's overjoyed to know that Jesus is alive, but I'm certain he's now doubting his position, his relationship, his future because of his failure. I don't know about you, have you ever had one of those moments where your team or your organization or the people around you experience something great, but you as an individual don't know where you fit in it all? That's Peter, but it's magnified because he's denied his Savior. He has turned his back on him in his greatest time of need. He has run and hid when he should have been there for Jesus. It says he wept bitterly. Peter is broken. He is embarrassed. He is ashamed. He doesn't know where to go. And so Peter does what we all do so often when we find ourselves in that place. He returns to his old way of life, and he leaves the things of Jesus behind. He has to feel like Jesus could never forgive or use me again, so I'm going to go and do what I do. And for him, that was going fishing. I don't know about you, but I know I've been there before where I felt like I messed up too much to ever be forgiven or used again. And so that's where Peter is. But before we jump into this narrative in John 21, let's pray, and then we will uh, just see how Jesus reacts to Peter in the midst of his sin and denial. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that your mercy is more. Yeah, we know that our sins are many, but your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness is more. And God, we thank you that, that you return to us and that you offer us forgiveness and new life no matter how many times we screw up. And so God, I just pray that today you would help us to see ourselves in this story and that we would leave knowing that you offer us forgiveness and grace and love that you desire to use us for your glory, and that you're not done with us no matter what we are walking through today. So God, we thank you that you love us. Lord, we thank you you sent Jesus to die in our place. And God, I pray that we would walk forward in that freedom today. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So we kind of said it, but if you were a follower of Jesus, have you ever found yourself in Peter's shoes? Maybe you made that bold proclamation at camp or on Sunday morning or an emotional time that you will never again deny Jesus. Or you will never return to that sin or fall back into old habits. That you will boldly proclaim the gospel to your friend and then a day later, a week later, a month later, the opportunity comes and you cower or you return to sin or you embarrass yourself uh, and God through a slip up. Have you ever been there? I know I have been there and that's where Peter finds himself. And so he does what we do. He goes back to his old life. He goes back, and he is a fisherman. So we're in John 21, starting in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And so they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter went back to his old life, but things aren't going real well. Right? He fished all night, and he caught nothing. 
Again, has that ever happened to you? You decide to give up on God and so you return to your old life, to your old patterns, to your old places, only to find that there is no longer enjoyment or happiness there. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor, he said, this is the worst place you can be. You've seen too much to ever be happy again in your old life, but you are too discouraged to keep going forward with God. And that's where Peter is and is where many of us have found ourselves. It might be where we find ourselves today. Verse 4, it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And so Peter has returned to his old life. He's trying to move forward on his own without Jesus. He is hurting. He is disappointed. He is ashamed. He's unsure of his future. He has nothing to offer here. And in the midst of that, what does it say Jesus does? says he shows up he goes to Peter and that's our first point today and that is that Jesus meets us in the midst of our shame in the midst of our failure in the midst of our disappointment Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come to him he doesn't wait for Peter to beg for forgiveness but instead he goes to Peter right where he is right that alone is so amazing in the same way, God doesn't wait for you to clean up your life. He doesn't wait for you to overcome your addiction. He doesn't wait for you to be sinless. He doesn't wait for you to right the ship of your life. But he comes to you where you are. And that is the heart of the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? The gospel is not that we figured it out, not that we cleaned up our act, not that we found God. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that while we were still sinners, while we were running from God, he still loved us. And he showed his love for us by dying on the cross, by taking the death our sin deserved, by offering us his love and forgiveness. Right? The gospel is not about us finding our way to God, but the gospel is about Jesus coming to us in all of our failures, in all of our sins, in all of our hurts, in all of our disappointment. In all, and he comes and he restores our relationship to him. And that's what he does for Peter. He shows up. As we see in Peter's life, this isn't just a one-time thing, but God constantly comes to us in our disappointment. And he offers us restoration. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us purpose and mission in him. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, he comes to you and he offers you forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life in him. And if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, but you feel like Peter and you feel like you failed too greatly or you've wandered away or you've let God down, you've let God down, you feel like you are unforgivable, then know that Jesus comes to you just as he did to Peter, and he desires to forgive you and restore you and renew your purpose in him. Let's see how it plays out. We're in verse 5. Jesus called out to them, and he said, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. All right, let's pause for a second. Just look at this dialogue. It's, it's pretty amazing. These men have been fishing all night, and it says they've caught nothing. And these men, you have to remember, this is their profession. This is their trade. They are the experts on fishing. And Jesus calls them, and he says, friends. Other versions say he says, children. And he starts giving them fishing advice. And his advice is as simple as, you just need to throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Right? This would be like our little league team of 9 and 10 year olds going to a Rockies game and meeting them afterward and saying, how'd the game go? They say, not so great. And we say, well, you should just throw more strikes and score more runs, right? right? That's the kind of advice Jesus gives. Just throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And you can imagine Peter here who says that he doesn't yet recognize it's Jesus. You can see him just kind of rolling his eyes and throwing the nets on the other side out of spite for this man's terrible advice. But here's the question I, one pastor I read, I, I read this week asked, and I love that. He said, why does Jesus ask this question? Why does Jesus ask them about fish? 
And this pastor proposed the reason Jesus asked this question, the reason he sometimes backs us into a corner is so that we recognize our, our frailty, our limitations, and our need for help. When we have walked away from God, often the most difficult and most important person that we have to stop lying to is ourselves. We have to stop lying to ourselves about our situation. We have to recognize that we can't do it on our own. We have to recognize that this lifestyle, this relationship isn't fulfilling me or making me happy. We have to recognize the addiction, the the drunkenness, the whatever is not what I want to be. We have to admit to ourselves that we have been fishing. We have been chasing. We have been pursuing, and it has left us empty. We have to admit to ourselves that we have done this all night. We have fished all night. We have tried everything we can, and we have taken nothing in. And so that's where Peter is. Verse 7, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, and if you're not familiar with the book of John, John is referring to himself here. He's a humble one. Uh, And so John says to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around himself, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. He was full of large fish, 103 fish, 153 fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. I love Peter. So Peter, it says he jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus. And then he begins hauling this giant net of fish. And this is such a microcosm of who Peter is. And it's such a, a microcosm of who I am and who, who so many of us are as followers of Jesus and as Americans. Right? One of the things that defines Peter throughout the Gospels is his hard work and his self-sufficiency. Right? His solution, like so many of us to a problem, is just simply work harder. Right? And that's a good characteristic to have in this world. But when it comes to Jesus, it misses what he desires for us. And so Peter, he is swimming. He is hauling in fish. He is saying to Jesus, look, look what I've done. Jesus, I got this. I caught 153 fish. He is trying to get to Jesus. He's trying to impress and earn his way to Jesus. Meanwhile, look at verse 9, what it said. It said, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it and some bread. And so Peter here, he is working hard, and Jesus already has breakfast waiting for him on the beach. And what we see in this chapter is Peter is desperately trying to impress and earn his way back to Jesus, earn his forgiveness. Meanwhile, Jesus has come to Peter, and he's simply going to say, follow me. And that's our second point. Jesus, he comes to us. We saw that in point one. And when he comes, he restores, and he provides, and he says, follow me. God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's restoration has absolutely nothing to do with us and what we can offer him. But it is all about Jesus. God's forgiveness doesn't depend on our talents. It doesn't depend on our giftings. It doesn't depend on our resources or our ingenuity. But it is all about Jesus. For Peter, his relationship to God has always been about working and providing himself and being the best. But Jesus here is not asking Peter to prove anything. He doesn't even need Peter's fish. Jesus came to Peter. He prepared a table for Peter. 
And this applies to us if we are not a, yet a follower of Jesus. And it applies to us if we have been a follower of Jesus for 50 years. Our restoration, our forgiveness, our acceptance by God has absolutely nothing to do with our effort, with our proving ourselves worthy. But it has everything to do with, with Jesus and what he did on the cross. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we read earlier, God shows his love for us in this. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. Not once you cleaned your life off. Not once the good in your life outweighed the bad. Not once you attended church for ten straight Sundays. But he sent Jesus to die for your sins and my sins while we were still sinners. Jesus has made the way. He has already done it all. He offers you rest and forgiveness and new life in him through his merit, through his victory, not your own. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. Instead, he waits for you with open arms because he's already made a way. The gospel is that Jesus has given you acceptance as a gift. The work is complete. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more. And that is the message, that is the truth that the gospel speaks over the believer. You are loved in Jesus. Rest in that and give your life back to him. Jesus didn't need Peter's fish and he didn't need his work. Instead, Peter was already forgiven. He was already accepted. And Jesus already had breakfast waiting for him on the beach. In Jesus, you can find rest. Rest that you don't have to work. You don't have to earn his acceptance. But instead, you are already accepted and loved. But here's the deal. Because if you're like me, when you hear this word rest, the correlating word for me is often the word lazy. And the last thing I want to be is lazy. But that's not rest. Rest is found in the settled truth of your future. The settled truth of your forgiveness, your purpose, and that you are loved. Rest is found in Jesus. Right? We know the Bible says, Christians, we aren't not be lazy. But instead, Christians work hard not trying to earn God's acceptance. But they work hard, they love, they give, they help because they have already been accepted by God. They do so not to earn God's approval because they already have it. And they love him in response. Not because Jesus needs them, but because they delight to cooperate with Jesus in his mission to reach the world. So as Christians, we don't work to earn our acceptance before Jesus, but instead we give our lives back to Jesus out of gratitude for the acceptance we've already experienced. And so from there, the dialogue begins. We're starting in verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third th time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So remember the context. Days earlier, Jesus had told Peter that he would deny him, and Peter said, never will I deny you. But the evening when Jesus would be killed for the sins of the world, the evening he needed a friend, what did Peter do? He denied him three times in the courtyard when a young girl questioned him on a friendship with Jesus. Three times he had denied his Lord and Savior, and Peter was ashamed, embarrassed, and broken. And so look what Jesus does. He reminds him of his failure so that he can restore him for the future. The setting of this conversation is around a fire, just as Peter had previously denied him around a fire. He says, do you love me more than these, referencing the disciples? Peter had earlier said, even if all of these other followers forsake you, I never will. Jesus is saying, do you really love me more than these? Do you really love me more than the opinions of others? 
And then he asked him the question not once, not twice, but three times. And when he asked him for the third time, Peter is hurt. He becomes upset because he recognizes the correlation and it hurts. It hurts him to think of his past sin. It embarrasses him. He's ready to move on. And so often when God desires to restore us, we will have to first recognize and reconcile with our past. In order to be restored, we must know what we are being restored from. But that's painful because it brings up past sin we'd rather forget. It brings up past failures we hate to admit. And it brings up past hurts we don't want to, where we don't want to forgive and let go of, uh, and forgive others. And so the next thing I want to see is this, and that is that God's or Jesus' restoration can be painful. And it, it is painful, but it is always good and it is always complete. I think this is especially true for those of us that are already followers of Jesus. There will be times in our life that God will restore us and he will call us to deeper faith like he did Peter. There are times that God will call us to overcome a sin, to overcome an attitude, to overcome a lack of faith in our life. And it will always be a challenging time, but it will always be good and leave us walking closer to our Savior. And so often what this is doing is making us aware of our self-sufficiency, of our self-righteousness, of our self-satisfaction. And calling us to trust God and embrace his love and his goodness. Right? We see this in our world all the time. So often to grow, we have to experience pain, right? Like you think about lifting weights. In order to grow in your strength, you must lift weights. And it creates these micro tears in the muscles which make them sore but make you stronger. Right? If you want to get in shape, you want to lose weight, you got to do two things. Neither of them are fun. you got to eat less calories than you take in and you got to exercise. Right? And exercise can get to the point of fun, but it's not fun at first. You want a degree, a college degree, you're going to have to sacrifice to pay for it. And then you're going to have to sacrifice your time and effort. Right? If you'll push and, and, you'll get, and, and invest, you'll get it done and, and you'll have something to, to move forward and it'll be good. The list could go on. If you want to be a better parent or spouse, you've got to be present. You've got to sacrifice some of your own preferences and desires. Right? If you want to try to go a garden, especially here in southwest Wyoming, you're going to have to invest time and energy and sweat equity into it. In any area of your life, if you want to grow, it's going to take pain in order to grow. That same is true of our faith. If we want to grow in our faith, we have to surrender difficult areas of our life. Even those dark, uh, dark and difficult corners we prefer never see the light of day. We have to surrender those to him. We have to admit failure, admit sin, admit we have wandered, no matter how painful that might be. So we can experience his Jesus' forgiveness and walk closer to him. The other cool thing on this, and, and Jesus asked, we see in here, Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And that's significant because it uh, matches and correlates with the amount of times he denied him. But it's also significant because of the number three in the Bible. In the, number, in the Bible, the number three in their culture has significance. And that significance is the number three represents completeness. And so when Jesus forgives him, he forgives him completely. And Peter is free to move forward in Jesus' love and grace. In the same way, when you and I are forgiven by Jesus, it is complete. It is not partial. We don't have to question it. But all of our sin is forgiven by Jesus in his sacrifice on the cross. It is complete. It is done. And, we just, and when Jesus talks to Peter here on the beach, he was already forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The price had been paid. And so when Jesus talk, takes Peter back to that point, he is reminding him of the complete forgiveness he already has so he can move forward. And so in the same way, if you are a follower of Jesus, your sin is completely forgiven. All of your past, present, and future sin is forgiven by Jesus' blood and his work on the cross. Yet despite that truth, we like Peter, we can begin to hear and believe the lies that my sin is too great. My sin is too shameful. My sin is too much to ever be forgiven. 
and certainly ever to be used by Jesus. That's the story of the gospel. We are completely forgiven in him. All right, verse 18. It says, very truly, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And so Jesus is telling Peter that he is going to make it to the end. He's saying, you're going to overcome this moment and you are going to stand for me to the end of your life. Earlier, Jesus had told Peter that he would be the rock on which he built his church. I would imagine that Peter felt like, like that all went out the window there in the courtyard. But Jesus is saying, no, you are going to make it, Peter. You're going to make it to the very end. And my purpose for you remains the same. You will be my rock. And look at the imagery that all this happened. Jesus says, you will stand for me. You will give your life for the mission, for the future I've laid before you. And you will rely on me as a child relies on a parent. You see, when Peter stretched out his hands in his own might, he denied Jesus three times. But when he stretches out his hands in dependency on Jesus, he has the courage to go to the cross himself. And by revealing the end, Jesus restored Peter and empowered him for the mission. That's our next point. And that is that Jesus' restoration empowers us for his mission. He says, Peter, you are going to make it. You're going to live your life for me. In the same way, when God saved you, when he saved you, uh, he saved you with the desire to give your life purpose and mission. He saved you with the desire to be in relationship with you, to give you rest, the desire to give you a future, and the desire to give you a purpose to wake up in the morning. God's desire for you is to know him and to make him known to those around you. He desires for you to praise him using what he has given you to honor him and to share your hope with the world so that all might know him and know his love and grace. Right? Jesus loves you. He has saved you, and he has given you a task with eternal significance, just like Peter. But it's so easy to be like Peter and get distracted by the past or to get distracted by our own efforts or our own strengths or our own weakness or, our, or just ourselves in general and feel disqualified. But the hope of the story is Jesus has forgiven you, and he's restored you, and he's restored you with purpose for the mission and the future he has laid on your life. Right? Your call, your future won't look like mine or your neighbor's or your friend's, but God has plans for your life that hold eternal significance. And he has restored you and forgiven you for a purpose. Right? Peter had a unique call to be the rock that the church would be built on. Right? You have a unique call that God has for you that will use your talents and your gifting so that others might know him. And he, like Peter, has told you what happens in the end. For Peter, he gets this promise that you will make it to the end. You will die for me. And for us, our promise is that in the end, your eternity is secure. Your future is heaven in the presence of God. Right? Jesus says you know where you're going. You can rest in that and you can share that hope with others. God has you where you are for a purpose. Everything about your life is intentional. Right? You are here in church for a purpose. The, the school you're in is for a purpose. The job you're in is for a purpose. The neighborhood, the gym, the team, the office, the club you belong to has a purpose. And that purpose is to shine the light and hope of God there and make him known. God has saved you. He has restored you. He has empowered you just as he did with Peter. Believe that and trust in him and share your hope with others. And so the question for us today is, are we living like we have a purpose or are we just living our life for our own glory? Are we using our talents and gifting, the opportunities God has given us, the places he has placed us for his glory and his purposes? Or are we just living life? 
This week, I would ask you to consider where God has placed you and how he might want to use you there so that others might know him. How is he calling you to use where you are and your talents for his glory? So I would encourage you to accept his forgiveness for failing in the past and say yes and walk forward with what he has for you in the future. And so Peter, he seems to be getting it. He seems to be coming around. And then we come to verse 20. And we see in verse 20 that Peter is just like you and I. Jesus has restored Peter. He has forgiven Peter. He says, Peter, you have this incredible future. You are going to make it to the end. You are going to make an eternal difference. And what does Peter do? He looks at someone else. He says, well, what about him? Look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Again, this is John. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about that guy? What about John? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus has just told Peter, Peter, you are going to love me. You are going to lead for me. And then you're going to show the greatest courage for me by dying for me. Like he gives him this incredible encouragement. He says, Peter, you are going to do it. You're going to make a difference. And Peter, like us, turns around and he sees John. He says, well, what about him? Right? Peter is us. We are always comparing our lives and our skills and our call and our future to others. And Jesus says, stop doing that, Peter, and just follow me. When we live our lives looking at others instead of Jesus, we will be forever ungrateful. But when we look to Jesus and see the abundant grace, love, and forgiveness we have been given, we will find rest and we will find purpose and we will see all that we have been given. And so the last thing restoration does is restoration, Jesus' restoration restores our focus. It lifts our eyes to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is a big one for me. But I regularly need my eyes lifted from myself and from my circumstances and from others, my eyes lifted to Jesus. Jesus wants us to focus on him, on him and, and on doing the job he has for us and not play this comparison game. I don't know about you, but when I look at others, I get discontent in a hurry. But when I looked at Jesus and I see how much I've been given, none of it that I deserved, when I see all that I've been given, it leads to restoration, it leads to gratitude. And when I looked at Jesus and all I've been given, it leads to a life sold out for his mission and his purposes. Jesus says to Peter and to you and to me that it is Jesus himself and his grace that is our prize. Heaven is where we're headed. He says, follow me, rest in me, love me. He calls on us not to rejoice in our own strength and our, our titles, not to rejoice in our accomplishments, not to rejoice in our worldly possessions or what we accumulate. But he says, rejoice in me. Rejoice in your future. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus says, look to me, and that's enough. So he says to Peter and he says to us, don't look to others, but look to me. That's where joy and completeness and satisfaction is found. And so that's what restoration does for us. It renews our focus. It gives us purpose. It reminds us that we are forgiven. And so as we begin to wrap up, there is so much truth and so much in this narrative of Peter's life. And so I just want to recap real quickly, and then I want to give us a few moments to pray and to reflect and to ask God where it is that he desires to restore us, to restore you and your life and your future. So where do you find yourself in the story today? Maybe you're here and you've never experienced restoration and forgiveness in Jesus for the first time. And you just need to experience that and surrender and experience his grace today. Right? The story of the gospel is that Jesus loves you. 
that he gave his life for you. And he is waiting for you to turn and follow him. So you've never trusted Jesus for the first time. Maybe you would do that in your seat today as we pray. Or maybe you'll ask your questions or talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus and experience his forgiveness. Or maybe you're here and you're a lot like Peter. You find yourself having walked away from faith and from what you know that God desires for your life. Maybe you're discouraged and you're back in your old patterns and habits. The promise here is that Jesus has come to you and he's waiting for you. Would you jump out of the boat of your old life and return to him? He's already forgiven you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to restore you. And with Peter, he's waiting for you with breakfast on the beach. Right? Would you repent, which means turn around and follow him? His desire for you is to restore you, to renew you, and to empower and give your life purpose. If that's you, would you return today? Or maybe God's put something on your heart that you know he is calling you to do, but you're, you're dragging your feet, or you're disqualifying yourself based on your past, or you're looking to others and comparing yourself. Right? It's so easy to make excuses and do what we want to do, but will we surrender and do what we know we are called to do? If that's you and you are distracted, would you renew your focus? Commit your life to the mission, then take steps this week to live that out. In this story, we see that Jesus' forgiveness is complete, and he is waiting for us. He has purpose for each of us in our lives, and he wants us to follow him and serve him with the gifts and talents he has given us. He wants us to honor him and make him known. So how can you use your talents and your giftings to honor Jesus and make him known? I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, I would just... I just pray that God would reveal to you what he is calling you to, what he's calling to you in, in terms of deeper faith or how he's calling you to restore you or renew you or forgive you. And I pray you would surrender and follow him. So I'm going to pray for us, and I just ask you to bow your head as well. Dear Lord, we thank you for this, uh, this, this story of Peter and how Peter could mess up so badly, just as we do. But how in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his message, in the midst of the denial, Lord, you didn't turn your back on him, but you went to him and you met him. And you offered him forgiveness. You didn't only offer him forgiveness for it, but you restored him. And you gave him a future. You gave him a purpose and a mission in this life. So God, I don't, I don't know where everyone in this room is, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in these next moment or two as we pray. And that you would speak to us what it is you are calling us to do and how it is that you love us and care for us. Lord, there's someone that's never trusted you for the first time. Lord, I pray that they might surrender and find forgiveness in you. For those of us here that are your followers, Lord, for those of us that have walked away or, or maybe feel like we have sinned too egregious to ever be forgiven, Lord, I pray that they would see in this story the truth that, that you wait with open arms, that the sin has already been forgiven, Lord, and you desire to restore them. You desire to give them a future and a purpose in you. God, may they know that today. God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would lift our eyes so that we could focus on you and focus on your purpose and your mission for our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied just to live like others or be satisfied just to live for ourselves and our own glory, Lord, but that we would give our lives out of thanks back to you. Lord, that we would shine our light wherever it is you send us. We shine your light wherever it is you send us. That we might be faithful to share your good news with others and the hope that we have. So God, I pray that, that, Lord, you would just speak to us, Lord, and you would draw us to faith in you. That as we leave and we go about our day, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, and remind us of who we are in you and what it is you desire for us and for our future. 
that you would help us to see that every aspect of our life has purpose and mission. You desire to use us as broken and fragile as we are for your glory and your good. God, may we be faithful to share that with the world around you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you what you've done in our lives. God, we praise you and we desire to be used by you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I've got a few announcements for you, and then uh, we will let you be let you go. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church,